You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 143. This episode is brought to you by mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Uh, I'll give you my predictions for the four games we have this weekend a little bit later on here going on. I'll also hook you uh, guys up with a promo code. If you, you know, look, you know, when you have a smaller slate, I always feel a little more confident, you know, maybe laying a couple of shekels down. So uh, I'll give you my picks, but uh, mybookie.ag, guys, I truly, truly recommend them. I do use them. Uh, one of the faster, you know, returns of your investment. Uh, the promo code I give you, they'll probably match you a little bit. I think it's about a quarter now for the playoff season. But, you know, obviously mybookie.ag has been a good sponsor to us, you know, through the year. So, obviously, we'll continue through the playoff run here. Uh, sorry for the delay in getting this episode out. Uh, I wanted to take a day or two after, you know, the finalization of 0-16 and, and then New Year. Uh, then, obviously, uh, here in New Jersey where I'm at, we just got bombarded with about a 20-inch snowstorm. Uh, just crazy, crazy madness here. Uh, couldn't wait to get back on. I've been trying to work with John here. I appreciate him being so understanding uh, with what I've been going through. But a guy out in Minnesota, I think John understands. Uh, our guest here this evening, and this is one thing I did want to do here. This isn't about the front office. This isn't about coaching. We're going to take the roster here. Obviously, the folks over at PFF, I have a bunch of friends who work over there. I know the work that these guys put in. Um, and even those who used to be doubters seem to come around and, you know, each year PFF starts to grab the community more and more and, you know, s- demand the attention that they get. And I couldn't be prouder for all those guys who work over there. Uh, joining us here this evening, like I said, out in Minnesota, you know, minus 70 degree wind chill factors last week. I kind of laughed at it and criped when John put it up on Twitter. And now it'll be probably be about a negative 11 here tomorrow. So I guess I reaped what I saw there. But John Costco from Pro Football Focus. John, how are you this evening? I'm doing pretty well, you know. I'm I'm withstanding this cold cold weather here. We're actually having a, a heat spell. It was uh, gotten to the uh, positives today, uh, so that's that's good on our front over here. But uh, yeah, great great to uh, be joining the show. Thanks for having me on. It. Uh, I couldn't. And uh, one thing I want to say is, uh, you know, and guys like you, I, I think you do a fantastic job relaying the information at hand. And I understand a lot of people don't necessarily always understand it you were so great on twitter and social media and those aspects of trying to break it down until it makes more sense to everybody and i think those and this is probably part of the first question uh our past host jared mueller wanted to ask and this is the one i actually wanted to start with what do you feel as a guy who works at pff and look there are still some you know detractors obviously what do you feel is the biggest misunderstanding about the work you guys do and those you know who aren't fans of it you know truly don't understand you know, there, there's, there are a number of misunderstandings, I would say, but I think there's a, a major one is that uh, there's still this misconception out there that we actually don't watch film and that we're just taking the box score, you know, play-by-play <laughs> data and, and crunching it in some way and, you know, delivering some type of grade. Uh, and that really couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, what, you know, what we do is we're looking at every single play. We're watching, watching the film on this. Uh, a lot of, obviously we're doing it live and then we go back and, and review it multiple times but um, I mean we're, we're watching every single player every play we've got multiple different processes that go into it all based on tape and basically we're you know we're charting we have a system where we, we enter the information in and, it, and obviously you can you can have all this different data but um, yeah I mean I, I think that's really the biggest thing is that we're creating these players on a, on a plus minus scale I think it's 
is well known out there for people at least that follow us uh, that we grade from a, a minus two to a plus two scale in 0.5 increments. Um, and zero graded play is kind of like an expected grade. So like when you see an offensive lineman make a block and it, you know, say, let's say it's a power, a power run to the right and you've got the, the right tackle making a down block on a you know defensive end or the defensive tackle there. Um, and basically the, the defensive tackle's job is to fill that B gap or the right tackle's job is to make sure that he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't get into the C gap. If they, if they both do that job, we're, we're basically calling that a wash as a grade. It's a zero for both guys. When you, you know, you talk to an offensive line coach, they might say, yeah, he did his job. That's a plus. But then you looked at the defensive line coach and he goes, yeah, he did his job. He filled his gap. That's a plus. In our eyes, that's a, you know an expected play. They both did their job. They didn't do anything to um, create a, a bigger hole from the offensive perspective, and the defensive lineman didn't, didn't force the cut or squeeze the hole or anything like that. So, like, there's, there's a lot of nuances that go into it, but basically that's kind of how it goes. You know, an expected grade, you go from expected grades to obviously underthrowing a, a hitch or something like that goes to a negative for, for a quarterback and – Lots of different ways to go go from there uh, in the grading aspect. Okay, so uh, this is actually one I want to uh, you know I'll ask. Uh, did you before you joined PFF? Did you have any idea how deep and how you know in depth this coverage and analysis was? No, uh, absolutely not. Because uh, I joined PFF um, in in 2014. Um, basically, it was um, it was. End of February when free agency period was about to start up, and basically I was looking. I was just, you know, I'm, I'm, as a as a Browns fan, I was looking for, uh, you know, information on the potential free agents. And then once they started signing players, I started looking like, all right, you know, are the who are these guys? Are how good are they? You know, because I was just trying to get more information there, and I, I came across PFF, and I go, oh, these guys are grading them, um, and they, I saw that there was a. Um, uh, a link there that they're looking for part-time help, and so I applied and went through that process and and got it. And it, really, I didn't I didn't understand even the, the depth of, of detail that they went in into until basically you know I was I was hired and everything like that. And then um, even as a, as doing that in player participation, which is you know what every part-timer does when they join PFF, you don't really understand how how detailed the grading goes into it until you. Um, actually see it and put in an application. Yeah, and that's the first thing, I, you know, obviously, like I said, I have some other friends who work there, and th that's the one thing they say. It's just like, man, and, and I think the other thing that you guys all kind of agree on is it's hard to just sit down and just be a general football fan ever again, right? Once you get into it and, and watching, game, whether it's watching a game live, any type of it, it's a totally different aspect for you to watch a game than it is for, say, the modern fan who cannot wait till Sunday to sit down and put in 12 hours on his couch. Yeah, you're right about that. And, you know, I, I played football at, at Kansas, and I, I did it my whole life up until uh, basically my career ended because of injury. But even even from that aspect, you know, I, I, I felt like I watched it a little bit differently. Uh, always looking at the offensive line before, you know, looking at where the ball was and, and all that. But, yeah, I mean, now when I when I, I look at it, I just, if I don't have to grade a game and I'm sitting there watching it, with my family on the couch, I'm basically going through there. All right. What is, you know, what's the run concept here? Oh, how's all these blocks working together? Oh, that's a plus 0.5 throw for the quarterback. And it's, 
it is it is a little bit different in terms of how uh, I, I'm watching it even after playing it in college. Okay, I guess we're going to start here on the offensive side of the ball. Um, obviously, there's going to be addition brought to the quarterback room. Um, Deshaun Kaiser, and look, I, I was a big Kaiser fan coming out. I, I don't think the situation worked out that well for everything that was here this season. Uh, that being said, I cannot, you know, discount the you know mistakes he made. There were you know a couple instances where wow, it looked good, maybe things some, and then you know fell back into you know a, a terrible mistake, whether it was walking himself into a sack or not taking the three yards that was available on a scramble, or you know obviously some just terrible outlandish throws, obviously that led to interceptions. Uh, talk a little bit about Deshaun's grade, and you know it was a really really tough year for the twenty one year old. Yeah, I mean, so this is a guy that coming out of college last year probably should have stayed another year because he was coming off the season, you know, his his redshirt freshman year. A lot of people point to that as a as a really excellent year, and he was he was fine that year. But it, there wasn't this astronomical grades from our standpoint, or even like when you look at the stats, it wasn't isn't wasn't all that great. And then obviously uh, the next season, he split time with Malik Zaire. Didn't really didn't have a whole form grasp on the, on the starting job our, from our grading standpoint. And there was a point or, uh, in the, you know, towards the end of the season, I, I tweeted out a, a graph of what his grades were. And they were a roller coaster of grades where they just kept going, you know, you have one really good game, one bad game, one really good game. And that was pretty much, you know, how, how he was in college. And so when he comes out to, you know, out into the NFL and he starts playing this year, obviously it was really bad in the beginning of the season. And it was pretty much just, I mean, all negative grades. He didn't have a single good game up until about the Minnesota game where he actually, he still had a negative grade, but it wasn't actually that bad. He, you know, he managed the game quite well, missed on a couple of throws, but didn't really uh, put, you know, harm the team too much in terms of uh, what, you know, expected to win. And then he, he, he started doing that roller coaster of the season where, you know, he had the Detroit game where he played, you know, obviously his best game of the season. Uh, it, was, it was the second best game of the season, but it was best up until then. Uh, then the next week, the, against, I think it was Jacksonville, that tanked it. And then the next week, you know, he had a, another really good game. And that's what it was, was the rest of the season. So he started reverting or, you know, showing what he was in college, which was, a, you know, you could you see the flashes of an excellent, you know, top-tier guy that you can go, man, that that's a guy that you can build a franchise around. And then he'd follow it up right away the next week and go, that's that's not a guy you ever want to play, in, you know, starting the NFL. So, yeah, he, he struggled throughout the whole season. He didn't show improvement at the end of it. And you especially look at his, uh, you know, positive and negative ratio of, 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 you know, positive throws and negative throws. It was pretty much, you know, a one-to-one -one ratio up until that Minnesota game. And then after that, he was a little bit better. He was 14% positive to 10% negative. Uh, but still, that's that's not a really good ratio for uh, for quarterbacks. You know, they look at you know obviously a guy like Tom Brady, who's one of the best. He's, you're seeing at a 20% positive, just like a 5% negative rate. So he's got a long ways to go to get to there. Um, but you know, that's basically what we see from from Kaiser. He, he is a guy that that really struggled from a, even from a clean pocket this year. When you look at um, you know when you look at stability of the quarterback position uh, through. You know, from year to year, um, the, the clean pockets throws are pretty much the most stable statistic you have from a quarterback. He was at 70 point, 73.9 this year, which is obviously not that great. So, 
Uh, obviously, you usually see a good leap in a second here for quarterbacks, but still, he's got a long ways to go to get to to the spot where you want him as a viable starting quarterback in the NFL. Well, and part of the question is, is how much of an opportunity is he going to get in that second year as well? Guys, you listen to Locked On Browns episode 143. Uh, great news came down today, obviously, from, uh, you know, obviously the, you know, CEO, if you will, of the Locked On Network, David Locke, play-by-play announcer of the Utah Jazz radio announcer. Uh, and any Locked On episode, Locked On episode you want, NBA, uh, NFL, uh, obviously covering the uh, NFL draft. Everything is on Spotify as well now, so guys, go check us out on Spotify. Uh, any avenue you need to hear us on Locked On Network, you have that availability now. I want to move on a little bit here, uh, John, now to the to the skill guys. Uh, obviously, it was tough. Uh, you know, the run game at times looked really, really good, and then it was kind of, you know, they kind of went away from it to more of the passing game, which I can, I mean, it, it's tough to question that part of anything because you're trying to develop a young quarterback. You weren't competing for anything. I mean, at times you did think that they were, you know, seriously trying to chase down a W. But I think, you know, with, you know, two young tight ends, um, you weren't playing with a Corey Coleman and a Josh Gordon for a majority of the year. So you wanted to see what you had in some of the younger wide receivers. It was a difficult aspect from that scenario. Uh, Isaiah Crowell is probably a guy who will not be here, uh, you know, going further but I think had a pretty solid this year year this year. And if he had gotten the number of carries that some of the upper echelon backs got, he probably would have put up some real number, really solid numbers and put himself in a good position to make some money. But speak a little bit uh, about the offensive skill position here. Yeah, so um, what's interesting is, you know, obviously the beginning of the year, you have, you know, you don't have Josh Gordon. You had Corey Coleman for essentially a game um, and then yeah, broke his hand. Uh, and then so you're left with, with essentially nobody as a number one wide receiver uh, that you were projecting in the, in the beginning of the season. Obviously, Kenny Britt was a major disappointment, uh, who, by the way, you know, the, in a week leading up to his, his release, he was actually showed improvement and was playing a lot better. Um, but, you know, regardless, uh, in the beginning of the year, obviously you have a, you're starting a rookie quarterback. I think it was handled uh, by Hugh Jackson a little bit poorly there by throwing him basically to the wolves and giving him, like, the full reins on the offense, make letting them do audibles, let throwing every single thing play in, a, in the playbook at him. Uh, it probably needed to be dialed back so that he could have, you know, you could utilize that run game. Uh, the offensive line improved throughout the year. Obviously, when you have a, a, a you know three new pieces to that line, and then obviously you lose Joe Thomas. But when he when he, it, it took a little bit for them to gel together, but they started they started looking like a really excellent unit, and they showed improvement every single game of the year until this last week against Pittsburgh. But, um, you know, they still, at the end of the year, were one of the best rushing offenses on a, on a per-play basis. Uh, and our metrics would have the, you know, from week nine onwards, had the second-best per-play uh, success rate of the rushing attack at 30, 32.8%. Uh, and that takes out scrambles and stuff like that, so it's not inflated by Kaiser bailing the pocket and getting the first down on a, on say on a third third down or something like that. So um, you know, and, but the thing is, you even look at the whole season, they were six best over the course of the season. In the first eight weeks, they're still still in the top fifteen in terms of a per play basis. So you would like to have seen the, them to use utilize that running game a lot more. You have, obviously have Duke Johnson, who's electric out of the backfield. Uh, as a as a receiver, had the number three overall grade as a as of all running backs in receiving grade. As a rusher, he you know he's not as good there, but he's still really excellent. Awesome. One of the best in the NFL at outside zone was averaging 
uh, almost, almost six yards per carry as an outside zone runner. On the other hand, you have Isaiah Crow, who's really bad at outside zone, but really good at inside zone and man, uh, but was given, you know, hit the most, the second most carries in outside zone. So a little bit of misuse there. But, uh, you know, obviously when you saw Josh Gordon come back, that's an electric piece. He, you know, finished the season as a 16th best wide receiver, 2.01 yards per route run. So that's, that's crazy with three years off. Yeah, it really is. You know, he came out in, uh, in the first game of this, you know, his season against our number one graded cornerback and really, you know, really had put him to the uh, test. You know, uh, obviously had almost had 100 yards in that game at over 80, only only the second player all season long to really take it to Casey Hayward. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, in terms of their skill position, I really like it, you know. And Joku really improved that throughout the season as a run blocker. You saw the flashes he could have as a as a receiving threat. I ne- you never expect a rookie tight end to really give uh, to to add that much to the passing game. It's never in, in NFL history does that happen. You have two guys that that as a, as rookie tight ends have had t- over uh, fifty uh, sorry ten touchdowns. That's Rob Gronkowski and uh, as one of them. So you. It's it's really not a position that you're gonna you should expect much from as a rookie. I'd expect him to really take off next year with a year uh, under of the off season. So it's a group that I really like, and they're only going to add to it. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the biggest key there is obviously you know the continued wellness of Josh Gordon, Corey Coleman finding a way to escape. You know the I mean you're going to get dinged up. You can miss a game or two, but when you get to that five six game missing stretch, and look guys, I don't think Corey Coleman's going anywhere, even if they are not. Even if they are a little dissatisfied with this play, you are not going to take a first-round pick, you know, going into year three, who's at an all-time low trade value, and move him for what's going to amount to a useless day three pick. So, yeah. I, I don't think I see any reason where Corey Coleman's going to move on. Uh, guys, locked on Browns. Like I said, this edition is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Uh, use the promo code Locked On. Like I said, they're going to, you know, they'll give you a little money back. You know, match it, you match your money a little bit. Uh, real quick, I'll go through it. Uh, Kansas City at home, you know, lay a nine for Tennessee. Uh, Kansas City is not a place you want to play if you're the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they got lucky last week. I came out with the W. Tyree Kill went through some, you know, personal stuff. He's going to be rested, ready to roll. Uh, I'll lay the nine, take Kansas City. Uh, Atlanta's getting six going into L.A. to play the Rams. Uh, one reason I like Atlanta here is, look, you know, they're into the dance. Uh, they got to be a little upset at what happened last week. I mean, last season, obviously, you know, the 28-3 jokes, you know, they know they exist. Trust me, they do. Uh, I'm going to take Atlanta to win. Uh, the Rams look there's so much youth there as far as the coach, the quarterback. It, it's going to take a yeoman's effort on them in the first playoff game to get it done. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Atlanta squeak out of there with a win. Uh, Jags lane eight to Buffalo. I think Buffalo going to a warm weather scenario. Uh, it's going to allow them to do a little bit more. Uh, I, I'm going to take the Jags to win. I'm not sure if they're going to cover by eight. So take Buffalo plus eight. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, the Saints are laying a touchdown to Carolina. I, I, there's just no way I don't see the Saints putting up, you know, probably 35. So I don't know if Carolina can compete in a track meet like that. So I would lay the seven with the Saints. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Like I said, use the lock-on promo code. John, we're going to move on here now to the defensive side of the ball. And obviously well, – one, 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 one thing I wanted to mention right on ahead, Corey sir. Coleman. You know, uh, you can compare him almost – you know they're not the same guy, but Nelson Aguilar out of out of uh, out of USC was a first round draft pick. Was the the worst receiver in the NFL for two years, and then 
it clicked for him this year. They, they moved him into the slot. Uh, he's much more productive out of the slot. He, you know, he struggles to get off of, off of the, the more physical corners on outside and really couldn't, couldn't handle it. Um, so maybe a, a moving Corey Coleman into the slot would help him. He was, he did play there in college and was productive out of the slot. So, you know, it's something that uh, you just obviously can't give up on a guy with that much athleticism and who had that type of astronomical production in college. There's still, there's, I mean, he's super talented. You got to give, you can't, I mean, you just can't move on from a guy like that just this early. No, yeah, I mean, and you wouldn't. I mean, and it's foolish too. I mean, if the other thing, I mean, the only reason you would even think that they would do it was, you know, a final, you know, you know, sayonara, a bird to Sashi Brown, if you will. But I agree. Put him in the slot. Uh, if you want to draft one, a big-bodied guy like Auden Tate, make Josh Gordon, you know, not the biggest guy in the room. Get, you know, use somebody big who can command some coverage. You know, obviously, then you know, then Josh is your secondary read. You still have an Ajoku. You still have, and then Corey Coleman as maybe a fourth option, a guy who has you know yards after a catch ability, which he did very well in Baylor. You know, ridiculous. I mean, look, and these things happen. You know, obviously, the rumors are going to fly this time of year. You know, a couple days after the end of the season, but it'd be foolish because you're never going to get the return of the investment you put on him. Put him in a better situation to succeed. Like I said, we're going to flip on over to the offensive side. I mean, the defensive side. Uh, look, Miles Garrett. This is the one everybody wants to talk about. And I think some people miskew his numbers. And look, everybody, what was his sack total? What was his sack total? Which wasn't terrible, if you keep in mind the amount of games he played. Um, I, I would have loved to see more of him and Emmanuel Ogba together, because I think that is going to be a perfect defensive end combination going further. But uh, the number one overall pick, how did he fare so far? This, How did he fare through the season? Uh, fantastic. He was, he was almost, <laughs> to, like in our numbers, almost an elite level of play. Um, you know, he had seven sacks, 12 hits, 21 hurries for 40 total pressures at a bad pass. Obviously, you saw the interception return for a touchdown that was taken back. Um, you know, I had that strip fumble in, in the sack fumble in, in the last game of the season. Um, was excellent as a run defender as well, which was, you know, even a surprise for us. We you know, look at this guy as, a, as an elite edge rusher, uh, but was still able to be that productive from, from a run-stopping standpoint. Um, you know, he has a 13th overall defensive end, uh, edge defender. Uh, that includes out, three, four outside linebackers. Uh, had a comparable rookie season to that, you know, grade-wise to Joey Bosa last year, Khalil Mack a couple years ago. Uh, really only only top, like, top-tier type guy that you would expect as an elite edge rusher that kind of is way ahead of him was Von Miller as a rookie. And that, you know, that's a... You know, that's another guy that obviously has an elite level every single year of his career. And Garrett was playing injured. So I don't think there's much of anything you could say negative about him, except for that he jumped off sides a couple of times and, you know, he, he got injured and didn't wasn't able to play as, as effectively as he wanted to be. But from our standpoint and our grades and everything like that, he was fantastic. Only missed three tackles this year. Uh, had 15 you know, 15 stops, eight, eight run stops, you know, obviously seven sacks. So, yeah, I mean, he's only going to get better with an offseason to get his body right. Uh, he's going to be special for the Browns. Uh, two others on the D-line I want to hit on. Um, obviously, Emmanuel Ogba, I mentioned him earlier. I thought he was, you know, he was probably the Browns' offensive MVP at the time of his injury. And Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, it's, the fact that you know they can trot three of this four defensive line out there next year, and you're talking about it'll be a third-year player and two second-year players, 
that is probably the brightest spot, in my opinion, of this roster. So go ahead and talk a little bit about Larry and Emmanuel. Yeah, Larry. What I don't understand is why Larry didn't play more. You know, he was he was second string, and they they were playing at nose tackle uh, at a you know three hundred and five pound guy, and he was still extremely effective as a run defender. You know, in our grades, he was the number two rookie defensive tackle in all of the NFL uh, as a pick number sixty five, which is really you know really great. But he only played three hundred snaps. You know, he, he. I would say move him to three three tech. See what he can do as a pass rusher. Even though he, his, you know, he's not real refined there, but you know, as an interior guy, get him up. Get him, you know, as a nose tackle, you're facing a lot more dull teams. Uh, at three tech, you're going to see a lot less of those. So put him out there. See what he can do. Put him alongside Danny Shelton and and Miles Garrett and, and Ogan uh, Ogba. That that's a really really excellent defensive line. I wasn't a huge fan of Trevon Coley, so. I think he should be a guy that should replace him, and Coley should be more of a rotational guy. Um, yeah. Ogba, on the other hand, yeah, I mean, he, he showed massive improvement this year in terms of as a run defender. Um, I think everybody like know, knows how good that run defense was, and he was a major part of it in the beginning of the season. Uh, his pass rushing productivity needs to improve. I thought, it, I thought it took a little bit of a step back this year compared to last year, but uh, he was getting. He was still getting after quarterback with four sacks, four hits, and 23 total pressures. Uh, one one aspect of his game that that's overlooked too is he get, does get a lot of batted passes. He had six just in, in the time he was playing. So um, yeah, I think his his you know he's only going to get better. He's obviously super athletic. He was a guy that was uh, really excellent as a as pass rusher in, in college. So I I, just, I think he can still get there. Uh, but we want you know obviously you just get got to get those guys healthy and playing at the same time, that, that defensive line. It's really, really looking bright for those guys. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I still, you know, and I, I, I say again, I think it's probably one of the more impressive units because you have to keep in mind that the age of these guys are in, you know, they're all young and it's a whole bunch of guys. You hope somehow they find some common ground. They hang out together, work out together off the off season. But, you know, that should only continue to be, you know, a, a absolute, you know, positional strength for this team going further. Um, the the linebacker crew, uh, Joe Schobert, you know, 144 tackles, you know, God bless him. Uh, you know, you know, Burgess was a guy I liked, I, you know, obviously didn't play a, a ton, but, you know, obviously got some more reps, you know, after the Jamie Collins injury. I, I, I'm not 100% sold on this linebacker core. I, you know, I think I, I'd absolutely love just, you know, the old, you know, the athletic, just be able to chase everything type of guy. Uh, but, you know, how did they fare for you? And, you know, is there going to be some, you know, assistance needed in that going further? Yeah, it's it's tough to say because um, there's a couple of things going against them. Um, and that's, you know, how they were utilized. You know, Schobert improved, you know, quite dramatically in, in the second half of the season. Uh, he's, he finished as, you know, the 23rd best run defending linebacker in our grades and was the 40th best in, in coverage, so, but he was still like, you know, just at a slightly below average level there. Um, but what what I'm, you know, you look at Jamie Collins and how he's being utilized, and it's not, I don't I don't like the way he's being utilized. You look as a, as a pass rusher, when he was with, with uh, the Patriots, uh, he's obviously one of the better uh, pass rushing linebackers, blitzing linebackers in the NFL, and uh, he graded out really well in that aspect. He comes to Cleveland and he's not doing all that well, so when I looked at the numbers, and this went, went really deep, really big deep dive into our numbers, um, we we actually 
chart. We have a thing called all blocking, which we're charting every single, um, you know, run run blocking and pass, you know, pass protection, all that type of stuff. Exactly where what gaps each player has an assignment for. And in New England, he was having uh, his assignment was blitzing uh, majority from the A gap stunting there whatever it may be and obviously he was going to other gaps and 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 whatnot but he was most effective as a as an a gap blitzer which means he was part of a five man or more uh rush unit getting after the quarterback when he was he, he when he was uh as part of a four man or less rush he was a lot less effective and especially from the c gap comes to cleveland and they utilize him the complete opposite way that he's not good they they're rushing him from the C gap uh, as part of a four man rush majority of the time. And he's not getting after the quarterback when, but when he did get into the A gap and was part of a blitz, he was winning at a, you know, at a 20% clip compared to like a 2% clip from, you know, the other way. So I, I, I want to see these guys being utilized where they're most effective. That being said, Collins was still uh, struggling in a run defense and, and pass coverage. Um, Part of that, you know, I think you saw in that Detroit game before he got injured, what that defense could look like if they're fully healthy. So there's, you know, there is that. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. This is still like a shaky group. I think you need to add some, you know, potentially add a guy in, in this offseason to uh, better, a little bit better as a, in coverage because it was a unit that really struggled in that regard. Um, obviously, maybe, you know, having another year with Greg Williams' system could help them because, a lot of times it just seemed like they were lost in coverage and didn't know what to do. So um, as a run defense unit as a whole, they were, you know, obviously a Kirksey was pretty solid there and, and, and Schober was really solid there. But, you know, everything else about them, where, what's most important, which is, you know, defending the pass, uh, they, they struggled quite a bit. Uh, yeah, and that even – now I'm going to get flip over to the secondary here. Uh, the secondary, you know uh, – in the coverage, you know, obviously they were playing off, obviously, early in the year, and but they played much better, obviously. Body Calhoun, uh, McCourty, uh, Taylor, it, it, it really seemed to fade down the stretch. And look, you know, I understand these guys were dinged up, and you know, God bless them for playing. Everybody's dinged come December, and a lot of guys could have just said, You want to know what, man? 0 <laughs> 14, 0 15, I ain't suiting up on Sunday, it ain't happening. These guys did, uh, but the grades, you know, as December, you know, wound out, the grades each week seemed to get a little bit lower and lower and lower. Um, you know, obviously with McCordy's factor, you know, some of it could be age as well, uh, which probably, you know, could have possibly ended up how he ended up in Cleveland to begin with. Uh, but it looks like, you know, some cornerbacks are going to be needed, and obviously that angel deep free safety is something that's got to be pretty big on Greg Williams' mind and something that's got to be addressed this offseason. Yeah, so like that's something he did in LA. Um, he didn't really change his defense all that much, except for the in terms of how they aligned. Um, you know, getting corners were off, playing off. They had the you know the angel position for the, the safeties. Um, he didn't really change that, and obviously he's a big time blitzer. Uh, what did change though is that he utilized uh, nickel and dime packages at almost an 85% clip in LA. And he utilized, a th you know, a base package in Cleveland, um, you know, basically 85% of the time. So that was a major change in terms of how Greg Williams utilized his defensive backs. Um, and so he mostly had only four guys out there a majority of the time. Um, so, you know, and you, and you look, 
with Peppers, you know, obviously people were, were clamoring for him to get closer to the line of scrimmage, and, and I can understand why he was decided to put him deep back there. If they were, if you were looking at the season as like, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs, um, we want to develop these players, and you want, obviously, Peppers was a guy in college that didn't play much free safety at all, so he didn't have the opportunity to develop those skills. So you put the you you're thinking, all right, we can develop him back there. He's a good enough athlete that he's gonna, you know, he's not gonna get totally beat back there, and he can keep things in front of him. Uh, and that obviously he got beat a couple times, but um, what what I think it was he wanted to do was to get this guy comfortable being back there, learning and getting experience as a deep free safety uh, to recognize everything that's happening in front of him. And I think I think it worked because. Towards you know, you look at the first half of the season. He was he graded as one of the worst safeties in the NFL. It was actually the second worst. His coverage was was fourth worst. But when you look at the last eight games of the season, he was actually 27th best in our grades as a safety and had the uh, you know the 20th best coverage grade as a safety. So it's a major improvement from uh, first half of the season to the second half of the season. So you know, I'm not I'm not too hung up on the angel position part of it. What I was hung up though on was how often they gave cushion on you know third and four and their this cornerbacks are sitting at ten yards deep and you just throw a quick three yard out and it's first down for for the offense. Um, yeah, Body Calhoun played extremely well this year and so did McCourty. They had some shaky shaky spots at, towards the end of the season, uh, but those those guys were were really excellent. They still obviously I think need to, to add you know cornerback an elite shutdown cornerback. I think that should be a priority for them in the draft and. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it was scheme, scheme wise that they got, you know, they let up so much, so many yards and part of it's the deep, you know, if you have a, if you have an angel position, you know, guy way back there and then your linebackers aren't deep enough, you're going to have a big giant gap at, you know, 15 to 20 yards, uh, you know, all that area. So, you know, there's a lot going on there, but I think, uh, you think all, all things considering considered, you know, you had some good pieces still and, and, and improvement in that area throughout the season. Yeah, and that was one thing. And, you know, I took a lot of heat because I wasn't a big Jabril Peppers fan through the draft because, I mean, for me it was, well, here's a guy you saw excel by the line of scrimmage. And for him to do that same role in the NFL on Sundays, he's going to be undersized for that aspect. Um, But I did, I will, you know, step up and say, I thought towards the end of the year, you know, once he got a little bit more comfortable. And look, maybe some guys aren't as comfortable flipping their hips. And maybe that's part of the reason why it was better to say to Jamal Jabril, line up this deep. This way it should always be in front of you, and you can still have your read and reaction skills, which is your bread and butter, and that's how you got to where you are to this point. And I did, you know, and it was pretty obvious. He showed better as that was going on. Uh, we have a couple questions here. Um, guys, one thing is, you know, a couple of guys asked about, you know, PFF and considered rating coaches and play calling. Um, one thing you guys know if you watch, obviously, a lot of Sunday Night Football with Chris Collinsworth, a lot of the NFL organizations are PFF customers. So obviously there's not really going to, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so they're not going to you know, <laughs> do a coach's grade. So guys, if you, you didn't know, that's probably why um, you're not going to hear the guys talk about that. Obviously they're not going to talk about, you know, guys, <laughs> the PFF guys are not going to talk about their clients like that. Uh, that's just not the way it's going to be. So, so that answers that question. Um, this one here. Um, look, obviously, we know we're going to have a QB. We're probably going to have one signed. We're probably going to have one drafted. Um, I tell you what, we'll just hit on that. Uh, the, the draft QB. John, from uh, the little bit of work you've done to this point, 
Uh, everybody, you know, I personally think Josh Rosen is top dog here. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, there's a lot of dance partners in this mix. Uh, all the quarterbacks are coming. All the running backs are quarter. Which quarterback would you think should be the number one selection for this franchise? So it's an inter- interesting question because of what I think it should be and what I think will happen are probably two I agree. things. <laughs> I agree with you there. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think if anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that my my guy is Baker Mayfield out of Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot more work to be done in terms of film study, and we're still going reviewing our college grades, and uh, there'll be some more advanced charting that we do. But the thing I love about Baker Mayfield is that uh, he can he, he has the, the arm strength, uh, the playmaking ability, and the accuracy uh, that you want from the quarterback position. Uh, you know, we did we did our we do this advanced charting. Not only are we looking at just was the ball catchable or not, but you know, was how tight was the coverage? Uh, what what was the coverage type? Uh, you know, you know, obviously looking at where on the field it was. You know, and how you know, basically, then we're looking at the precision of the accuracy. So, was it on his frame? Was it perfectly accurate? Was it back? Was it was it front hip? Was it high? Was it overthrown? You know, all sorts of different things. You know, we're looking at inaccurate catchable versus, you know, perfect perfect accuracy type stuff. And Baker Mayfield, like, destroyed every single player we've ever done in terms of it, it didn't matter what depth of yard line. He was super accurate, short, intermediate, and deep. Uh, didn't matter what type of throw it was or what type of coverage it was against. So, like, even if, you know, a lot of, a lot of his – his uh, critics say, "Well, he's in a he's in a system. He's always throwing the wide open players, uh, and this is it's not the case. It, sure, he is throwing the wide open players, but even when he's having to put it in tight windows, he's still super accurate with the football. So um, that's one thing that I really like. You know, multiple things that I really like about Mayfield is that he can do that. And then you also look at what he can do outside the pocket and outside the structure of the play. He can do it. He can do it both. He's great under pressure. He's great from the clean pocket. He's great rolling out." Um, and then, uh, obviously, you look at the, the type of confidence he has in himself. That would be something that would be fantastic in Cleveland that, you know, you look at the, the quarterbacks that come through Cleveland is that they get really beat down because of, you know, obviously what happens in Cleveland. And he's the type of guy that has always had a chip on his shoulder, uh, two-time walk-on, earned had to earn everything that he got. Uh, so I think that would be, in terms of the like, whole total package, would be a fantastic fit in Cleveland. Um, if it's not him, uh, I think that as, as it stands right now, the next best guy I think is, is Sam Darnold. Uh, and you might disagree with me because obviously you like Josh Rosen, but uh, Darnold, I think he had a he had a rough year this year, but it was really just a three four games uh, patch in the middle of the season where he struggled, and he really bounced back from that quite well. And if you take out those games, he was our number two graded quarterback throughout the year, but. Uh, it ends up being he was he was never you know much lower down because of those those games, but he you know he showed the ability to bounce back from struggles, uh, and then and then keep those behind. And even in the game against Ohio State, if you look at the quality of the throws that he was making under pressure, I mean he was he was delivering the football. His, his team around him is what really failed him. So um, you know obviously he had the, the bad pick six for you know that was a bad read, but really outside of that. Uh, it was pretty good. So um, those those are the two guys that I was seeing. Um, I got to do a lot. Obviously, there's a lot more time and effort and, and tape study that has to go into it. So 
Um, in terms of draft, I, those two guys, I would be happy with the, the Browns taking Baker's as of now as my number one guy. Okay, I can understand. And for me and Josh Rosen, I think if you put him in an NFL surrounding, I think he's going to be make be able to make every throw that you want. Obviously, there's some hesitation. You know, he's already whether or not you know that's true or legit. Um, you know, whether or not you know maybe he wouldn't want to come to Cleveland. But it is kind of for all you people that want to believe that when Josh Rosen says he wants to make a lot of money playing football. Well, for me, I read between the lines there, and that maybe says you want to. Then I want to go on. Shame, shame, on, shame on him that he wants to make money at something he does. Yeah, God, God, God forbid. I mean, UCLA, what'd you just make on him? Um, and look, you, you know, you should. And But also for me, though, if that says I want to make a lot of money playing football, that also says to me, hey, I want to go one. Um, but the thing is, I do kind of agree with you that Sam Darnold could be that option at one. Uh, one of the things that bothered uh, – and Sam was my number one guy going into this cycle um, – you wanted to ho- see hopefully a little bit better, you know, with the footwork, which led to a, a you know a lower arm angle. You know, the problem is with his footwork is is you know Sam, who's probably six foot three and a half. When your when your base is too far apart, your arm angle drops. That's when you get in the situation where the ball sails. And I you know I understand that's what leads to the mistakes. But look, now he's decided to move away from USC. He will go get with the best possible quarterback gurus that they're going to be. And, you know, tie the ankles together. They can only get this far apart. And, you know, Stan can still make every throw. I, I still go to the Texas game. That drive that got him to overtime was absolutely fantastic. First play overtime, he absolutely destroys and nails a 25-yard skinny post. to the You know, basically would have hit the, uh, you know, the padding of the goalpost, which is everything you want. Sam Darnold is not a bad fallback option from Ed by any means. So, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, the term, from the, the mechanic standpoint, um, the thing the thing that worries me the most about him is, is not really the feet. The feet can be corrected pretty easily. I'm, I'm not going to say pretty easily, but it's, 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 it's much more easily corrected than, say, like the upper body type stuff where – um, you know, if you have a, if you have a wide base, it's it's quite easier to get that narrowed. But when you have a, a throwing motion where uh, it's it's say it's not whip uh, like a whip like throwing motion where he has like a hitch in it or something like that, that's a lot more difficult to, to fix because obviously he's he's been throwing for his entire life and that's how he's been throwing it. Uh, so you know, trying to fix a bad throwing motion is a lot more difficult than than to try to fix where he he you know gets his legs you know his, his base too wide um because and the thing that's you know i have a, a i'm lucky enough to work alongside uh zach robinson who is former Oklahoma. former nfl quarterback yeah Oklahoma State. State. yep and he, you know this is a guy that he was he was drafted by the England patriots so he was in a, in a in a qb room with tom brady for for an offseason got to see what he did and was in a number of different qb rooms when he was in the nfl uh, and he he actually was the QB coach for Deshaun Kaiser last off season, and uh, basically, and I I've, I've just been picking his brain and all this stuff, and he was you know I asked him about what Darnold's throwing motion because his mechanics do scare me, and he goes it it doesn't he goes it doesn't really bother me that much because it's his arm is is still whip like throwing motion and he can really zip it out there and still get a pretty pretty compact throwing motion uh, you know quick. And get and, and and it's not really all that elongated. It, it's pretty. It's whip-like basically. So um, as opposed to to like a Blake Bortles throwing motion, where you expect you think, oh, they they both drop the ball down. Uh, but Bortles is more of just a, a wind-up, where where Donald's is a whip. So uh, it 
I, I, I would have to look at that further. It's, I'm, I'm basing this off of Zach's expertise, who, who's a lot <laughs> more better, a lot better than, than me at, at evaluating quarterbacks' mechanics. But uh, um, yeah, I mean that's the thing with with Darnold, and, and he's going to he's going to be younger than what Kaiser was in in next year in the NFL. This is a guy that you you want to sit, and and I mean I think Kaiser he obviously was he came out too early and should have stayed another year. I think Darnold should have done the same. These are guys that I think just need at that young of an age. They're, they're not ready to succeed in the NFL, so they I think they need to sit. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's a long term guy that I would expect to be, you know, potentially the best quarterback in this class. You know, right now I I think that's Baker Mayfield. I think he he can start a little bit sooner because he's a little bit older, has that experience. But um, Darnold can be right up there with him. And obviously, you know, these are things that Sam Darnold and his camp were told. Because he basically said since August, and there were, you know, then it came out again in October that he was, you know, intent. And every draft guy I've had on here, I would say it was, you know, eight out of ten that Sam Darnold was staying. So it, uh, it definitely stunned me that he declared. I, 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 I completely tri- doubled and tripled down on that too, because because I know I had that source too that he was going to stay. Basically, basically it was his him saying. Uh, you know, he thought, you know, his bad stretch in October was like, oh, I, I played really bad this year. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go in the top top 10 or whatever, so I'm going to come back. But then when he the regular season got over for him and he started hearing all these things and got, the, you know, his draft gate back, he goes, oh, I'm going to be – I can be a first-rounder. That that changed the whole attitude for him. And, um, you know, before before the, the Ohio State game, I pretty much heard – I got told he was going to be like 80% leaning towards – declaring so i declared that he was going to stay you know a day too soon so you know it is what it is i have to jump in lake Bemidji now <laughs> well there's a be you know obviously anything browns related people are jumping in lakes everywhere so yeah right <laughs> well if you doesn't do it then you don't have to do it john look at it that way <laughs> uh, no I, I, i'll do it i'll do it <laughs> yeah wait till spring though bro all right wait till spring <laughs> Guys, it's been an absolute blast here. Obviously, John Costco from PFF. John, let everybody know where they can find your fabulous work at. Yeah, so follow me on Twitter at, at PFF underscore John Costco. It's J-O-H-N-K-O-S-K-O. Uh, and obviously, obviously, go check out profootballfocus.com. We have uh, all, the, all the draft grades and, and draft breakdown that you can have want to have. We have our two packages of PFF Edge and PFF Elite, which gives you our signature stats and our player grades and all that goodness, and it'll get you the draft guide. So, yeah, head over there, and, and really there's uh, – you know, I, I tweeted out a, a, a get $10 off link for, for that if you wanted to, uh, you know, purchase that package. The, for, the Edge is pretty pretty affordable. I think it's it's a 30 or $40, and probably yeah. it's $30 with the, uh, with the discount. So, yeah, I mean, it's really – I mean, you can't get any better information anywhere else and in, in-depth in analysis on especially on the draft that's going to be coming up which is always ever important for browns fans and guys look if, if nfl teams are subscribing for the service you know if, if you have the money and you're looking to invest in a something it's probably worth your time uh obviously i'm jeff lloyd your host follow me at jeff underscore lj underscore lloyd please follow the locked on browns twitter account guys you've been so great as far as you know let me know guys you want to speak with uh, I've got a long list of names here. Uh, I've got I've, I've gotten some pretty good success here for stuff to sign up for the offseason. Former players, uh, got some draft prospects that we're going to get to as well. Uh, just so much coming. I appreciate everybody. I want to make sure everybody had a happy new year. I wish you guys all the best. Look, 17's in a rear view. It was terrible. 
Uh, as far as the parade, look, guys, I, I got no comment there. Uh, it, it, sometimes you just maybe got to, you know, have some fun with yourself. Maybe that's the only way to do it. But for John Costco, I'm Jeff Lloyd. Guys, we'll be recording again tomorrow. Sorry for a little bit of delay. Mother Nature takes over sometimes. Appreciate you guys so much for your time. Let's go Browns.